Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there, and thanks a lot for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Steve Strang from the Red River Basin Commission. We're going to talk with him about the Netley Lebo Marsh. They want to start dredging the Red River to help the marsh. Karen Grazenda is a listener, but now she is also an author. Her new book, Heart Dog, Gunner's Story, is available now. We'll talk to her about it. And Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling is coming up here on the podcast as well. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Steve Strang, Red River Basin Commission, joins us on the phone now. Hi, Steve. Hey, Al. How you doing, my friend? Excellent. Thanks a lot for jumping on. Uh, you've got an open house tonight. It starts at 7. Doors open at 6. Uh, 7 o'clock tonight. It's happening at the Bronx Park Community Center on Henderson Highway, 720 Henderson. And basically, it's an open house to talk about restoring the Netley Lebo Marsh by dredging the Red River. We've talked about this on the air before. You'll get into it big time at the open house tonight, but just quickly, why is it important to get the the marsh back to where it needs to be? Well, first of all, Hal, you know, we have uh, a lot of folks that really um, enjoy Lake Winnipeg. You have the cottagers, you got the lake users like yourself, all the fishing folks. Um, I don't need to say much. You've been out there, you've seen the problems with Lake Winnipeg, you've seen the eutrophication, uh, the lake needs our help, and part of helping the lake is making it healthy. And the marsh, as you know, you've heard this many times, is the kidneys of the lake. Yeah, it sort and of filters things. That's right. It takes all the nutrients out of the system. And as the lake moves back and forth and the water is able to flush over the marsh, the more nutrients can come out of the system. But we have a very unhealthy marsh. And for a number of reasons, and I want to get into that because it's not the value, but for a number of reasons, the marsh needs our assistance to get better. If we had a healthy marsh, it could take out as much sewage or or nutrients, I want to say, that, say, the city of Brandon and the city of Winnipeg and the city of Selkirk put into it combined. Hmm. And so So, why, why the importance of dredging the Red River? How's that going to help? Well, how we, we, we got together with many of the leading scientists, many of the leading organizations that work on environmental stuff, like the University of Manitoba through two faculties, ISD, Ducks Unlimited, the Southern Chiefs Organization, the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, the South Basin Mirrors and Reefs, and ourselves. And we, we put our heads together to say, how do we create a healthy marsh again? And the idea that came to our onto our plate is the idea of dredging the Red River, utilizing the siltation, carrying it into the marsh, increasing the bottom of the marsh, and allowing that area to get enough sunlight for that vegetation will grow. Over the years, our marsh has basically turned into a low, muddy water base, which does not have the capacity of allowing vegetation to come back. And we we know for a fact, because this is a proven thing, it's happened down in areas like Louisiana by Ducks Unlimited, that you can reestablish your marshes, you can make them functional again, and you can bring all that beautiful marsh light back, which really helps out the lake. So bring up the bottom, vegetation starts growing, we're the ones, we're the catalyst that makes that happen, and we, our lake gets much healthier for it. Why did they stop dredging the Red River? Well, that happened in 1999, and you know many believe it was a political reason based on money. They didn't really see the value of dredging because they didn't think 
that there was an effect that was going to come out of the siltation. Mm -hmm. And sitting in 2018, we know that to be really factual, that there were studies done a while ago back by, you know, KGS engineering that said siltation could become a major problem. And we're saying that because, you know, there used to be three main channels, the West Channel, the main center channel, in the East Channel. Well, the West Channel and the East Channel, as you know, is silted into the point where at times you could walk right across the channel. Mm. This year, when we celebrated our Marsh Day, we had times when the pontoons were out and those boats were actually scraping the bottom of the river as they were in the middle of the river. So the siltation is building up dramatically. So the thing it would be is open that up. And this really becomes a multi-beneficial project because if we utilize the dredging material, that gives the opportunity, like our scientific boat in a mail, to come in to dry talk. It, it enhances the um, overall tourism for boating. It allows a, a better channel for fish to travel up uh, the river system, so it's, it's better for the fishing. Then if we use the siltation to go into the marsh, we bring all the wildlife back to the marsh, all those little critters that we need. It's a sanctuary for the birds. It's a sanctuary for muskrat. It's a sanctuary for the little fish frylings. And we're getting like a two-for-one with multiple deal. So in the past, they never really came up with a plan that would work. And it was it was interesting, how because we started to do the investigation here, we actually found out that in Louisiana, they actually use the exact same machines that we're proposing. That's the Amphibex machines that are owned by the province of Manitoba and, and the local municipalities out there. And they actually dredge their river system and they put it into the marsh and they made a Healy marsh out of the dredging material. And what Healy is is pockets of water and pockets of material and vegetation growing all over the place. And that's what the marsh used to be. So knowing that it happened somewhere else, even though the weather's not quite the same, it it makes us understand that we could most likely do that right. here with great success. And we can turn around this marsh and help turn around the lake because this really fits in well to what the province of Manitoba wants to do for their green funding, for their grow plan and the green plan. Yeah. So we think collectively together with everybody at the table. And I will tell you, too, that the province is there working with us because we received our letter, which allows us to have some utilization of the Amphibex machines with they use. So we're very grateful for that. But I think that's the biggest part. It's the partnership of all these high-level organizations coming together to one table mm. and saying, we believe this is so important, we have to work together, and we believe we'll be successful. Yeah, it's a puzzle. Hey, uh, I just have to interrupt for a second here. We can tell you a bit about the sentencing of Guido Amsel. Guido Amsel has been sentenced for part of what he was convicted of. Judge Tracy Lord gave him 15 years in prison for an explosion outside his ex-wife's home in December of 2013. The judge is now moving on to the three letter bombs mailed across the city in 2015. One of those injured lawyer Maria Matusis. We are waiting to find out what he will be sentenced to for those incidents. But so far, we can tell you that Judge Tracy Lord has given Guido Amsel 15 years in prison for an explosion outside his ex-wife's home in December of 2013. You can tune in to the live stream at cjob.com right now, and we will talk to our global news reporter, Amber McGookin, at the court right after we get the full sentence. Sorry to interrupt there, um, Steve, but as you know, this is what we do around here. We we cover the breaking news, and, 
and talk about all kinds of important stuff, like uh, what this open house will focus on tonight. Um, you're going to have Dr. Gordon Goldsboro there tonight. Uh, what will he be uh, speaking on? How will he uh, uh, talk about this? Well, he's going to talk about, he's a great historian as well, and he's going to talk about how this actually came about. So he's going to uh, let the uh, listeners know that we dredged the Red River for more than 100 years, that we stopped dredging in 1999, and that this is the benefits of going forward and looking at consideration of dredging. What we're proposing is a pilot project. And we believe that project will give us the opportunity to show that what we're putting forward is correct and it will be successful. And our hope is going forward from there, Al, how is that we can bring all our um, partners to the table, such as the federal government, the provincial government, all the municipalities, and create a plan which will resolve the problems for the marsh. And it won't happen within one year. It's going to happen similar to the dredging pro- uh, program of the past, where it'll take consecutive years one after another. Mm. We don't want to take away from the ice bringing. We really believe that the dredging in order to enhance the Mars will be an enhancement to that program that the province has and certainly something which is strongly supported by the local government. I just want to close by saying this, my friend. I know you have great passion for the lake. I know CJOB has been so helpful in everything that we're doing, trying to get this message out. But for the listeners, please, like... Take interest. Uh, This environment belongs to all of us. We all must play a role in order to make our lake healthy again. Very well said. Steve, thanks a lot. I'm glad we got you on today. And again, I'll remind everybody a couple times this afternoon of the open house tonight. I hope I see you all out at 6. Thank you, Hal. Karen Grisenda. How did I do on your name, Karen? Good? Perfect. Excellent. Get nice and close to the microphone. I know you're nervous. Don't be nervous. So <laughs> you emailed me, um, I don't know, months ago now and said, how do you know anything about publishing a book? And I said, well, I know a few people that have done it. Let me hook you up with them. And then the next thing I know, I get an email saying, I did it. It's done. And you sent me a copy. But I knew that you were busy. And so I didn't want to be <laughs> bugging you. You're a sweetheart. And so I just started trying to figure it out yeah. my own self and... It just really came together really fast. Good for you. I want to ask you more about doing your own book, publishing okay. your own book. Uh, but it's called Heart Dog, Gunner's Story, based on the true story. G- tell me about Gunner. With or without tears. I know. You know what? I'm, I'm finding it very difficult. I'll bet you are. Yeah. He, I know how much I love my dog, and I did have two, right? I know. And Pete is no longer with us, and I've choked up on the air talking about that. So, so it's I, really hard. It it's is really hard. hard. Um. Originally, when I got Gunner, uh, I had two rescues at the time, mm-hmm. and I was single, and I'm hearing impaired. Yeah. And I had just lost my shepherd, my German shepherd, who was my protection and mm-hmm. my ears. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I did some research like crazy, and I got Gunner, and he was a little Doberman. And he was, for me, my protection, my ears. Uh, I couldn't do another German shepherd right away because I was still suffering from losing my Isaac. Yeah. But this puppy, um, he was an amazing, amazing dog. But I started having problems with him. And even with what I thought was a vast experience with dogs, um, it got to the point where he actually attacked me. Mm. And what I didn't realize was for the first three years of his life, he showed various signs that had I known more, I would have picked up on what was going on. Um, and it, it came down to um, having a, a network of people around me that were just 
amazing at troubleshooting and knowing his breeder really well from the States. Her and I were very close. Mm -hmm. She started really getting on me to check his thyroid, check his thyroid. Because here is this, he was great in the show ring. He was great in obedience. He was just a a top-notch dog. And then all of a sudden he would be literally a different dog altogether Mm. and attack. And for being, you know, Anybody having a 90-pound Doberman come at you that two yeah, seconds ago, scary, yeah. it, it's a loaded weapon. Mm. Um, I found out after, you know, Mandy had really pushed on me to get him tested, um, took him to the vet. And throughout his life, as I said, there was other symptoms. And I had brought up thyroid a number of times. And Gunner didn't show any of the typical sides of, of thyroid. Yeah. So it was never, I mean, I took him regularly to the vet. Uh, Over the course of the three years, I spent probably $10,000 on this dog trying to figure out what was going on. But it was little pieces of the puzzle. Um, Eventually had him tested for thyroid, and he was dangerously low. And so I got in touch with people in the States, uh, a vet actually there. She really helped me a lot. I got to the point where I almost had him put down I drove him to the vet that day with the appointment yeah. and just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to. I felt, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I felt that it was something I had done to screw up this dog. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I did training and, and he was um, an excellent dog so much of the time. Yeah. You know, and so much love. And then to have this. So... The reason why I wrote the book was after I got him diagnosed properly and after I got him medicated properly, he went back to that amazing dog for another four years. And to think how close you came to making that decision that you could never take take away. That's exactly it. And the thing that was so scary is he was diagnosed with having food allergies and then other kinds of allergies. Mm -hmm. And so we changed his food so many times. And how many people don't hear that with their dog? Yeah. You know, and, oh, allergies. So we were trying to deal with allergies. And then he had rashes. And so, again, maybe allergies. And this was getting worse and worse and worse to where it came to the point of aggression. Mm -hmm. You know, and so for me, um, it's so important to get out his story because I have had other people come to me and say, you know, what was going on? Tell me what happened. Yeah. And sure enough, they take their dog in and holy Toledo. Yeah. It's not what we thought at all. Well, and what's kind of cool about this uh, is that you have taken your story of Gunner, your yeah. story with Gunner, yeah. and you've put it in, in book form. In book. And how many of us dog owners feel the same way and would love to do it. So I give you great credit for doing that, telling your story. Thank because you. Because I, I, Jackie and I, when we had PETA, now PETA was an older dog and she had lived a good life. But when she started having seizures, we tried everything, you know? And, yeah. and I mean, it's so frustrating when you don't know. And it's a family member. People can say, oh, come on, Hal, it's a dog. But it's a, a member of your family. Yeah. And I think it's just great that you've done this. You've written the book. Uh, you were so, uh, you said you were nervous um, about coming on because you didn't want to come on and talk about this book and then it was no good, but you're getting five-star reviews online. Uh, people are loving the story of Gunner, 
And I just think it's great. Well, thank you. It's it's I've had uh, my fiance Tim is a big part in this because yeah. he was the one that kept saying you can do it. Mm. And I would spitball it with him and because I was so worried that people might just hear maybe it's just a Doberman book. It's yeah. not. It's mm-hmm. it's about all dogs. Yeah. And it's not just a, a Doberman being aggressive book. This is, again, mm-hmm. I'm hearing from people with Shih Tzus yeah. and crosses yeah. and everything. So the book is funny stories. Um, again, we had, you know, four dogs at the time. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of chaos when you've got yeah. four dogs. No, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I had two and it was crazy. Well, the craziest thing was is our little terrier cross was the one that caused the most chaos out yeah. of, you know, with the Dobermans. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of funny stories in there and yeah. family stuff. And and then meeting my true love, mm-hmm. you know, who, who I had, quite frankly, given up on. Mm-hmm. And then bringing him into the mix. And he was scared of Dobermans. Wow. And he didn't say anything. Yeah. So it's just, it's a really, I think it's a great storybook where you're learning. Yeah. And then you kind of get hit with the, at the end. Now you see how it all fell in, but I never mm-hmm. put the pieces together. Yeah. Well, and now you put the pieces together. It's in the book exactly. called Heart Dog Gunner Story by Karen Grizenda. You were telling me you just dropped off copies at McNally Robinson. So McNally Robinson has the book now. You can also get it online at Amazon. It's called Heart Dog Gunner Story. Yeah. And uh, the author is Karen Grizenda. I'm really happy that you were able to do this on your own. Good for you. Um, and uh, I really hope people pick it up and check it out because it's, uh, it's your story with Gunner. It's a great story. And it applies to everyone mm. and also to humans. Yeah. Like, I mean, watch your spouse, watch, look for differences in behaviors. Mm-hmm. We are our own advocates. Right. And in my case, had I pushed stronger knowing something was wrong, mm-hmm. maybe it would have been found out sooner. Yeah. So we always, we know our our close family members best, right? Mm -hmm. Whether they're human or dog or cat or what have you. Karen, thanks for coming into town today. I appreciate it. I know you traveled a ways to come in, but I really appreciate it. And again, congratulations. Thank you. Very happy for you. It's minus one, but feels like minus seven. What's going on well, in there, Hal? What? This, oh, what a joint. I'm telling you. This is like CJOB, you know, an iconic radio station across Canada. Poor Carolyn Classen walks in, our regular Thursday guest, 2.30 to 3. She grabs her chair to move her chair, and the arm plops off in her hand. Gross, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm like, oh, sorry. She can't put it back in. I said, just slide it over, try a different chair. She puts it on. I can't even see her over the counter now. It's too low, and oh, my gosh. One of those days. Well, then. Did you uh, finish up TFJ properly? Anything I, else I you, gave uh... the current temperatures. Okay, minus Excellent. one feels like All minus right. seven. And now back to Hal Anderson. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's Hal Anderson. Oh, uh, Carolyn Classen uh, from uh, Connexus Counseling. That is Cam Poitras right there. That is the new producer of my show right there. Hi, Cam. Hi, Carolyn. It's been our first week together, and so far we're loving it. Both of us are really enjoying working together. Oh, so. cool. Well, welcome. Yes. Well, thank you. I mean, I mean, I only do this to work with you, by the way. So. <laughs> yes, thanks. Nice uh, to how's know. A, a nice there, it's note. over. Day four. It's done. <laughs> See you later. We're I'm fighting. Not, I'm we're fighting. Um, so you may have to work with us, uh, you know, in a bit of a session now and then, but so far it's, it's going very well, and it's been nice having him on the show and uh, nice having a bit of help as well. Uh, Carolyn Klassen, how are you? How was your week? 
Oh, it's good week. How yes. was Kathy Kennedy last week? Oh, isn't she great? Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah just really she's enjoyed fantastic. her. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, a couple things we're going to talk about today. If you don't mind, uh, let's mention first of all this memory tree because mm-hmm. I, I talk about this. I've talked about this for the last couple of years. Uh, but they just uh, have the uh, tree set up now. It's at St. Vitale Center. And this is put on by the Palliative Manitoba. Uh, it's the Palliative Manitoba Memory Tree. Mm-hmm. And they do it at St. Vitale Center. And basically, it's an opportunity for you to go down and uh, remember somebody on the tree. Mm-hmm. And that will get us into a conversation now about grief. Because uh, as you point out, sometimes things like this give us an opportunity to maybe grieve better. Hey, is that a good way of putting it? Or I think so. There's no easy grief, but I think there is better grief. Yeah. And one of the things that makes grief better is when we name it and we acknowledge it. Mm. And I know, you know, when you get closer to Christmas and you walk by that tree and you see, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of cards that are on there, yeah. you, when you think I'm the only one that is this sad at Christmas, because it's pretty hard when people say, how are you doing? Mm. You don't hear people saying, well, I'm really sad. Thank you very much. Yeah. People don't talk about it. But when you look at that tree, mm-hmm. you realize that you are not not the only one that a lot of people find Christmas hard because so often at Christmas, it's a time when you do things that you do once a year, right? And you do them in a certain way. Um, I was looking at my son's Instagram post and uh, they had Chinese food when they decorated their tree last night Hmm. because we have had Chinese food when we decorate our tree. Um, And we we do it in a certain way every year. And so, um, and we've had certain people around the the table when we celebrate, you know, the the dinner before the tree decorating. Mm. And so then when that person isn't able to be there, it's that time of year that we really admit and need to acknowledge how that the hole that's in the season because somebody yeah. isn't there. You know, uh, a line you hear a lot is, well, everybody grieves differently. Sure. Is there a right way and a wrong way? Well, there's lots and lots of right ways. Yeah. But I think one of the ways, and I don't know that it's wrong, but I think it's not helpful is... I suspect that there will be people that they don't let themselves admit that they're grieving now at Mm. Christmas and they might be feeling blue and kind of down, but they don't acknowledge it. And so then when the holiday party for work is Friday night, they say, oh, I can't come. I've got too much work here. I need to stay here late at the office and work. And they might even convince themselves that that's really true Mm. because they can't open up and hold the space of, oh, actually, it's really hard to face lots of merriment and jolly making because I'm sad. But they put it off onto something else. Or else people sometimes at Christmas, they go around and say, all these people, they are pissing me off. Like, why (laughs) why is everybody so annoying these days? (laughs) And what it really is, is your circuits, your fuse is a lot shorter than Mm. usual because you're grieving and you're not letting yourself admit it. And it comes out in irritation and being annoyed at people. And so if you can hold space for, I am sad, and even though that person died three, four, ten years ago, I still feel sad. And if you can, the tree gives people permission to say, it's okay to grieve for losses in years past. Mm-hmm. And when people can hold open that space, then they can be honest with their feelings, and then they can make a better choice. Do I want to go to that holiday party or not? Maybe I need to pass this year because I'm sad, but I'll go home and watch a movie or, you know, I won't I won't just sit here pretending that I really need to work. I'm not going to lie to myself. Mm-hmm. And I will apologize to somebody for being short with them. And I'm going to notice that I'm impatient and it's because I'm sad. It's not because other people are intentionally out to get me. Yeah. I think too, you know, sometimes I'll think about my, about my dad who's been gone for many years uh, and... 
I find what helps me when I'm missing him is remembering all the things about him that puts a smile on my face. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that, you know, is good advice or not, but rather than uh, dwelling on he's gone, he's not here, I can't spend time with him, I I try and remember the fun things that we used to do together when, when we were together. And that's holding both, right? And often when we're grieving, we we focus only on the sadness. And I think what you're suggesting is let's hold both. Let's Mm. hold the sadness, but also the memories that hold joy and fun in them. And I think... um, I, I think sometimes that may be one of the the advantages of the memory tree as well is that sometimes maybe in the year after a death, if somebody's been sick for a long time and they've been really struggling and in pain and there's been a lot of care involved and people are tired, when the person first dies, all you do is just you're, you're kind of relieved that the person's not in pain anymore and that the exhausting sitting by the bedside is over. And then it's after that first year has passed that then you have a chance to really look back and remember the beautiful parts and remember past good Christmases, and you can focus on the good uh, in a way that you can't in the months right after when you're so busy looking after all the things that need to be looked after, and you're you're just so vividly remembering the end months of suffering. Mm-hmm. Let me just quickly say the Palliative Manitoba Memory Tree is at St. Vitale Centre in front of the bay, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Monday to Friday, Saturday same, 9 to 9, Sundays 9 to 6, and it goes right through until Christmas Eve. And it is a great way to remember... Uh, and pay tribute to, you know, that person that you lost. It just makes me feel glad to know that we live in a world where people trouble themselves to get a project like this going that can help so many people. Uh, Because for not only people that actively participate, but for the thousands of people that are going to walk by that tree, it Mm -hmm. will matter. Yeah. For 31 years they've done it, which Crazy, I think is, right? is really cool. Yeah. There's so much more going on right in this world than going wrong, and this is one of those examples that reminds Boy, us. Boy, and of that's that. a really good statement. And I've, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention today, if you're okay with this, we didn't really have it on our list of things to talk about, but it is <laughs> that, thank- that has never stopped never you. Never stopped hell. <laughs> me. But it is Thanksgiving in the U.S., yes. and, uh, you know, it's not our Thanksgiving. We had our Thanksgiving, but it's Thanksgiving in the States, and, you know, we have some American friends that listen to us too, mm-hmm. and, and maybe let's just talk about gratitude, one of my favorite things, gratitude or being thankful. It's important that we we do that, not just on Thanksgiving, whether it's ours Mm -hmm. or theirs, but every day, right? Right. I read a story, a news story of a woman who had given birth to a baby through C-section and one of the, I think the engineer at the hospital, you know, gets her into his car and tries to get them out of the hospital the way they were trying to escape. And they, they spent nine hours going about 20 miles um, and they had to turn back and it was really bad. And at one point she turns to him and says, if the flames come too much closer, just take my baby and run because she had just had an operation. There was no way she could run, she, but take my baby and go. Mm. Um, and so when she was interviewed later, she said... And in the process, her house burnt down to the ground. She has nothing left. And she says, never have I been so grateful um, and never have I had so little to little, but I have so, I never have I been so grateful that it wasn't the stuff that she was grateful Mm -hmm. for. She just had an appreciation for her life, for how somebody's willing to be there for her in a really hard time. Um, and stuck with her, even though it got really dangerous, that she was just really grateful. Mm-hmm. And that was, to me, that was a really powerful quote that's been sticking with me over as the Americans have been thinking about Thanksgiving. Yeah. 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 Carolyn Klassen is here from uh, Connexus Counseling. Let's talk about cheaters. Mm-hmm. Once a cheater, always a cheater, question mark. I put a question mark on them. You hear that, right? People say, oh, once a cheater, always a cheater. Is that the case? Or how do you want to get into this cheater conversation? Well, 
we talked about mindfulness with regards to the memory tree. Yeah. Uh, and I think mindfulness, it comes big into play with cheating. If you cheat and you say, oh, that was dumb, I'll never do it again, but you don't think about it, or you actually don't think it's that big of a deal, yeah, those people cheat again. Mm. If people notice that they do it and they feel horrible about it and they dig deep into it and they get curious about it and they and they, they, they really explore why they did that, and then, because generally when people cheat, they do it to solve a problem, mm. um, which and it actually creates another problem, right? Um, because even if it ends a relationship that should end, you become known as a cheater. Yeah. And that doesn't go well for you um, because it's people don't trust cheaters, right? Yeah. And so um, if you can get curious about it and figure out why it is that you do that behavior, then you can work to do some healing in that area and find a more adaptive way of addressing that issue than by cheating. And those people do not have to cheat again. Uh, I've seen people work together after uh, cheating an episode of infidelity and they've repaired their relationship to be stronger than it was before. But it's a hard haul, though, right? Oh, it's not easy. It's mm. it's hard, but um, worthwhile things are really easy. Mm. You said something there. Did you say uh, people cheat uh, to solve a problem? Yes. Um, generally, talk, talk about that. That's interesting. Well, I think if people don't, people often they they get they fall into infidelity because they're getting a kindness that they're not getting at home they're getting an intimacy that they're not experiencing in their first relationship um but they ha- but they might not even notice that there's a vulnerability in their first relationship and they just kind of get sucked into this other one without even realizing it and they don't realize i i didn't notice the distance or if i noticed it i didn't address it and pay attention and it was too hard for me to speak that out loud and to figure out how we were going to repair that so i got that need met in a way that ultimately isn't very helpful but at the time seems like the best option mm-hmm. sometimes people um engage in infidelity because it gets it it's it if if they it's almost a good way to end something because it's too hard to turn to the other person and say i don't think this is working and mm. let's figure out either make it work or end it and so yeah. there's this, or sometimes it's so good that i'm going to sabotage this with this because if it's going to end anyways at least i want it to end under my control rather yeah. than have the other person dump me there's all sorts of reasons why people do that but i think it's important to be awake to what's going on and mm-hmm. then ask yourself if this is really what you want to do yeah this isn't cookie cutter i understand yeah, that but i'm going to yeah. ask you a real cookie cutter question do you never forgive a cheater or do you always give a cheater a chance Right, like that was a quick. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, uh, like I think if, uh, boy, I hope Jackie's not listening. If Jackie came, I love Jackie so much that if she came to me and said, I made a horrible mistake and she was honest with me about it, I have too much invested. I love her too much. I would have to give her another chance, as hard as that would be. Is that always the case or or is that a deal breaker? Well, but did you hear what you just said, right? I have too much invested the way you and you don't want her listening to this because you know that's not who she is, right? If she did something like that. Well, I was kidding when I said that because I trust Jackie emphatically. It would be out of character for her, right? right. Like this would be something where on the main you really, really trust her. Mm -hmm. And if she goofed, and it would be a big goof, right? You would say "This this is something that's worth saving. And you watch her reaction and you watch her desire to repair this. Yeah. And you consider all of those factors when you're deciding if you yeah. want to repair it. Yeah. Because yeah. all that stuff would play into the decision, wouldn't it? 
It would. And I think there's a difference between forgiveness and forgetting, right? Mm. Um, and, you never forget, do you? Well, and what one of the, the unfortunate things, but very real things that this, the study that you and I decided we would talk about today, it says that people who suspected their partners of cheating were 10 times as likely to be suspicious in their next relationships. Yep. It really messes with a person's head when they're mm-hmm. cheated on. Yeah. And not only in that current relationship, if you try to say we're going to rebuild, that, that you know, if a person's 10 minutes late, where does a person's head go, right? Yeah. They can't help but wonder why aren't they here on time. And and then it, it carries into the next relationship. It really messes with a person's head mm-hmm. when they're cheated on. Absolutely. Yeah. And it carries on from relationship to relationship yes. to relationship. And, well, that's what the, you know, we talk about baggage, right? Yeah. People that are good for you in your life that you can trust, you don't trust because of things other people did to you in the past. Yes. And so that's sometimes when couples come to see me, there's a lack of trust and the guy says, I haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Um, and then we explore where that lack of trust comes from and how he can reassure her and also not take personally when, you know, her spidey sense goes off when nothing has happened. Because mm-hmm. when you've been cheated on, your spidey sense has all sorts of false positive alarms. Yeah. It's funny, you know, uh, about the cheating because we I did see this story and I, I sent it to you and then you kind of said, yeah. Let's talk about it. And I kind of thought as I sent it off to you, I don't think she's going to want to talk about this because it is sort of a, it's a tough subject, right? I mean, it's important. I think that we talk about it and I I think in relationships it gets talked about. Certainly sometimes it's a big deal and sometimes it's just, it's discussed and nothing ever comes of it. But I wasn't sure how you were going to handle it because it's one of those, oh boy, cheating. Well, in the way the headline was, um, the headline that I pulled up is study suggests people who cheat are three and a half times more likely to do it again. Mm -hmm. What they what the headline doesn't tell you was that the study that was done with uh, let's see how many people four hundred and eighty four they were unmarried adults and so this was dating relationships yeah and so th- I don't think the stat is the same when people are married but the headline didn't say whether they were married or yeah. not married right yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, people are often trying to figure out their style of relationships and they have to learn from very expensively what happens to a relationship when you cheat and so that people that then go on to change their ways. It, it this this doesn't capture some of that. And so the yeah. headline is really very startling and grabs your attention. Mm-hmm. And it's much more nuanced than that. Yeah, yeah. At Conexus, when you, uh, as a therapist, do you, is that your number one you deal with uh, infidelity, would it be, or just other relationship issues or... Well, you know what? I would say infidelity is a huge issue, but interestingly, it's not it's infidelity of a person cheating with another person is only one sort of infidelity that we deal with. Mm-hmm. We deal a lot of pe- with people saying, you know, one per- my partner's having an affair with their work or my partner's having an affair with video games or with Facebook or online shopping that there's a disengagement that happens and the other woman or the other guy, it's not a person it's something that the person is pursuing at the expense of the relationship and that the spouses are feeling disconnected. That's really mm-hmm. very much what people come for. Yeah. I have saved no time for the big one. And so can we do it next Thursday? Can, can we do the uh, the parents one next Thursday? Why yep. parents are reluctant, not always, but often are reluctant to ask for help when they need it because I teed that up and I think it's an important conversation. So we'll do that next, next Thursday week. with Carolyn Classen from Connexus Counseling. How can people get a hold of you? We'd love to have you call us at 204 275 one zero four five, or you can look up us on look us up online at connexuscounseling.ca. Carolyn Classen, thank you very much. 
Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.